I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. And I want us to notice verses 18 down through verse 21 this morning. Isaiah 43, verses 18 through verse 21. It's also good to see old Brother Scott Fred back with us for the second Sunday. I, I tell you what, you know, you always know someone's been through a really traumatic experience when they come back to church and there's a big smile all over their face. I, but uh, tickled to death to have Scott back with us. Second Sunday in a row, isn't that great? All right. Well, with the exception of Scott, let's look at Isaiah 43, verses 18 through verse 21, and let's stand, please. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 18. Isaiah says, Remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me and the dragons and the owls. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Let's once again look before our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow before your throne of grace today. And I thank you for just how good you've been to us. And I thank you, Father, that... You reached out to us and drew us just with your love to receive you as Savior. And Father, for that person that may not know what I'm talking about, about knowing you as Savior, Father, I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way to draw and to convict and to lead that person to give themselves to you. And Father, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a powerful way now that we'd see some new things in, in, in this building today as we see new life born through Jesus Christ, as we see old relationships renewed through the power of your Spirit. And I pray that we could leave here today just to rejoice in what you've done, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah was one of the most influential of all of the Old Testament prophets. And I believe that one of the reasons for his influence was his family background. Isaiah's father was brother to the king. And that allowed him to be born in a position of influence where he was able to reach the movers and the shakers of Israel. Now, I can't make that statement. My dad was not a uh, a, a royal. My dad had a fourth grade education. He worked out in the oil field all of his life, and, and he worked hard to provide a living for, for four of us kids that were, and we struggled growing up. And, and, and as a result of that, there, there's a part of me that just is not able to relate to the movers and the shakers. Isaiah was. He was born royal. He was born 
with the ability to, to come in contact with kings and priests and the, and the people of his day and time that were very influential in, in Judah. And I believe that God put him there for a reason. Because as the leadership of a nation goes, so goes the nation. And Isaiah was able to talk to and he was able to preach to and he was able to share God's message with those very influential people of his day and time. Isaiah also had influence because of the longevity of his ministry. Isaiah ministered to Judah for over 50 years. And for 50 years he remained faithful to what God was doing. And, and during that period of time, people could see that Isaiah's faith was real. He was consistent and he lived in such a manner that, that as he reached one generation and then as he reached another generation, people could see that his faith was real. They could see that his relationship with God was real. You know why one of the reasons Billy Graham has been so influential and effective is because during the long years of his ministry, which has spanned over 50 years now, people could see that he's real. People could see that he's genuine. People could see that he's not a fake, that he's not a sham, that, that he lived the life out in front of people and they knew that his, that his testimony was real. And you know, even today, we often have to prove ourselves to people before they ever listen to what we have to say. That's one of the reasons why down through the years that you, what you see effective churches, you see effective churches have people that last and stick and have pastors that stick and, 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 that, and that can have some longevity and, and show people that, that the gospel that's preached is real. And I believe that Isaiah had influence because he was willing to tell people the truth. You know, when Isaiah spoke... He didn't sugarcoat anything. And, and when people heard Isaiah speak, they knew that they were going to hear from God. They might not like what they had to hear, but they knew that when he told them something, what they were going to hear was the truth. He was not a politician. He didn't try to, to impress people with who he was. And, and he didn't try to say things in a way that would just kind of lessen the blow. Isaiah just simply told the word of God as he received it from the Lord. And that was kind of brought him influence with the people. I have a dear friend of mine that lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. And every once in a while, I, I'll have a need and I'll, I'll have a need for advice. And, and I call him up and I say, listen, I need some advice. And always he says this. Well, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want me to tell you what you need to hear? One of these days, I'm, gonna ask, I'm just going to say, now before you ever say that, just tell me what I want to hear. I mean, Isaiah wasn't that way. He told people what they needed to hear. He told them the truth. Now that didn't mean that they heeded the message, but it did mean that they knew what God wanted. And Isaiah shared this message with a nation in decline. You know, under King Uzziah, Judah had prospered materially their borders were enlarged. Judah was larger under King Uzziah than they were under any other, uh, any other of their kings. Not only did they, they prosper materially, they prospered spiritually under Uzziah. Uzziah loved the Lord and he, and he brought the people back to God. But then something happened. 
Like every other person, Uzziah died. And they began to sink into spiritual decline. You know, prosperity, material prosperity can be a very dangerous time. Because when we're materially prosperous, what happens to us many times is we forget the blesser and we start majoring on the blessing. We begin to think about all of the things we can have and we begin to forget about the one who gave us those things. And as a result of that, if we're not careful in a time of prosperity, we begin to take our blessings for granted and we can kind of lift ourselves up and think we're really something because we have something. Folks, listen, we're only something because we have someone. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Israel, or, or Judah during this time, they began to take the blessings of God for granted. Did you realize that times of spiritual prosperity or, or material prosperity are more dangerous than times of adversity? Think about our nation for just a minute. I, many of you that are, that are older than me can remember those awful times of the Depression and you can remember those awful times where, where it was difficult just to find something to eat. And yet during that time, this nation prospered more spiritually than we've ever done before. It's when we got affluent that we got proud. It's when we got affluent that we got hard-hearted towards those folks who didn't have a whole lot. It's when we, when we, we got kind of prosperous and affluent that we forgot the giver and focused on the gift. Judah did that, and they began to turn away from God, and they began to engage in an immoral and wicked lifestyle. And as a result, Isaiah found himself engaged in trying to turn them back to God. Now, now one of the ways that Isaiah did this is that, that he pointed out that what they were doing was sin, and what they were doing was offensive to God. Now, I know that we live in a day and age where we have a seeker-sensitive mentality and we have a seeker-sensitive mentality when it comes to church. And so I've read all of the seeker-sensitive books. We don't want to offend anyone by telling them that they're sinners and we don't want to put them on the spot by making them make a decision for Jesus Christ. My dear friends, that's why we don't have revival in our churches today. Isaiah was not afraid to stand up and say, look, folks, what's going on around here is not right and it's offensive to God and you need to turn back to Him. And as he began to preach that message, he had to remind them that if you don't turn back to God, God's going to allow us to get in, uh, into a time of judgment and we're going to be ending up in Babylon. Now, they didn't listen to that. And so Isaiah went the second route, and he said, Now, folks, look, you need to turn from your sin, and so let me give you something positive to think about as you think about your sin, as you think about the offense of God, and as you need to turn back to Him. And you'll notice what he did in verse 25 of our text here. He, he shares what God says. And God said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Isaiah encouraged them to turn back to God by reminding them that God would forgive them. Now, I know that sometimes that we have a very harsh view of God, don't we? 
I grew up in a, in, in a church setting where I was always afraid of God. Maybe, maybe you grew up in that kind of setting. That, that if I got out of line, my view of God was that God was this great policeman in the sky and he's got his spiritual billy club. And if I get out of line just a little bit, he's going to walk me upside the head. I don't know if that's your view of God when you were growing up, but it was mine. And, and I had this, this idea that God just delighted in pouring out his wrath and pouring out his judgment upon people that got out of line. That was my view of God growing up. But listen, I know that God is holy. And I know that because God is holy that he has to judge sin. And I know that because God is holy that he has to judge rebellion. But the Bible teaches that God takes no pleasure on pouring out his wrath upon a sinful people. Ezekiel says, I take no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith the Lord. I know that God has to judge sin. I know that God has to pour out his wrath upon rebellion. But dear friends, listen, the Bible teaches that God would much rather see people turn to him and be forgiven than he would to judge them. It's always God's desire that people be saved and spend eternity in hell. It's always God's desire that the church experience revival. That's what God wants to see happen. And that's why instead of judging our world today, I believe that God in His mercy and God in His judgment has given this world just a little more time to repent. You know what God would love to see in the wicked, evil days that we live in today? He would love to see multitudes coming to Him in repentance. Multitudes coming and seeking His forgiveness. God would love to see His churches full of people rather than pouring out His wrath. Folks, if your idea is a God that just delights in seeing judgment, then I want to point you to the cross. Because if all God wanted to do was judge people and send them to hell, He would have never allowed Jesus to go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why? So that men might be saved. Listen, if you're here and you're lost, even though you may be headed for a devil's hell, God doesn't want that for you. He sent Jesus to the cross so that you could have eternal life. And if God was just delighting in, in judgment, you know what would have happened? If God's delight was to judge the sins of mankind, He'd have done that long before now. Would he not? Think about in the 1930s and 40s when Adolf Hitler was condemning six million Jews to die. Don't you think God would have stepped in and judged everything right then and there if that's what his propensity was? No, God wanted to save people. He gave us just a little more time. And even with all of that's going on today, God still cries out with a broken heart, receive my forgiveness, receive my son, receive my salvation. God wants to save. I believe that God wants to cancel the debt that we owed him due to our sin. Did you know that our, that our sin has a debt that goes along with it. Now, how many of you folks are in debt? Let me see your hand. How many of you owe somebody something? All right. Praise God, I'm not alone. 
If your credit card company were to forgive your debt, you know what they would do? They'd just wipe it clean and you could start all over. Wouldn't you rejoice today? Man, that'd be enough to make a Baptist shout, wouldn't it? That's all the word means is cancel a debt. Now, now let's just bring this down to a little bit where we can kind of understand it. There's a debt. There's a consequence that we owe to God because of sin. You see, because of sin, we have offended God. And one of the things that offenses often do is they cause us to refuse to fellowship with people. Listen, has anyone ever offended you before? You know what happens if you don't get that right? That person comes around you and you don't have a smile on your face. You know, you can always tell when you've offended someone because of the way they look at you. Oh, Mike, it's so good to... No, uh uh-uh. That's right, huh? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and you've offended them before and you shook out their hand and they said, don't you even touch me. You didn't have to wonder. You knew you offended them, right? And if you've really offended somebody, guess what? They're not asking you out for lunch when we get through. Because offenses, when we offend people, we break fellowship with them. Because what we're saying is, you owe me before I'm going to fellowship with you again. You owe me an apology. You owe me to make it right. You know, when we offend God, God breaks fellowship because of His holy nature. And, and the guilt from our sin also causes us to break fellowship with Him. And because of sin, because of sin in our life, we owe God our very lives. You know, there's a thing in society today. Do you remember, if you commit murder, what, what, what's the debt you owe society? Your very life. We talk about people owing a debt to society. Folks, we owe a debt to God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There is a death penalty attached to sin. I know we've made sin real light, and we, we have little sins over here, and we have medium sins over here, and we have big sins over here. And, and sometimes we would say, yes, that murderer, he deserves to die. And then maybe sometimes we would say, yes, that sex offender, he deserves to die. And then we would say, yes, that drunkard, he deserves to get wiped out. But the gossip, well, we can overlook that. God doesn't have sin in those categories, folks. Sin is sin. And the wages of sin is death. But what God wanted to do when he looked at all of us, because all of us have committed some kind of sin. Folks, don't sit there proudly and say, well, I'm better than that person over there. No, you're not. None of us are better than anyone in here. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may not have committed a sex sin, but you may have lied. Because the Bible says all of us have. The Bible says all of us are estranged from the womb. We go forth speaking lies as soon as we be born. Every single person in here is a liar. Boy, that makes friends and influences people, doesn't <clears throat> So all of us owe that debt to God. But what God wants to do, He wants to cancel the debt. Because you know what God wants for us? He wants us to live eternally with Him, and He wants to show us the riches of His goodness throughout all eternity. God doesn't want us spending eternity in the lake of fire. God wants us with Him in heaven. And so what God wants to do is cancel the debt. 
He wants to just wipe it clean. My daughter almost died when she was about five years old. And uh, she was in the hospital for a month and, and had two surgeries. And, and we, it was just touch and go. We lived at the hospital with her. And when it was all over, we had a hospital bill that matched what she had went through. And we got bills from doctors for over a year that I didn't even know who they were. Any of y'all like that? But her main doctor, the one that saved her life, right before we left, he said, you know, my name's getting in the medical journal because of the way I've treated this girl. Only one in 10 million people have what she has. My wife looked at me and said, it's the Hansel curse. And so the main doctor said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Y'all don't owe me anything. And I'm saying, well, praise God for that. And then the hospital gave me a bill and three or four doctors I didn't know gave me a I, you know. But you know what he did? He canceled the debt. We owed him. He was the one I wanted to pay. But he canceled the debt. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to cancel the debt. And God did it by paying for our debt. He did it by becoming a man and going to the cross. And when Jesus cried, it is finished, our debt was paid in full. And through his resurrection, Jesus now stands to offer forgiveness to all. But folks, to receive that gift of forgiveness, you know what we have to do? We have to confess, God, I am a sinner. God, I violated your word. God, I have offended you. And we have to receive the gift. Now, some say, well, I don't understand that. Yes, you do. How many of you have ever made this statement? That person's offended me, and I'm not going to forgive them until they apologize. Have you ever made a statement like that? All right, thank you. We have one honest person here. Uh, Probably a lot of us have made that statement. But you know, that's basically what God is saying. I'll forgive you, but you've got to come to me and you've got to confess that you've done wrong and you've got to receive that gift. And the Bible says that when we come to Him and when we confess that gift, when we come to Him and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I ask you to forgive me. The Bible says that whosoever will may come and He'll turn no one away. My dear friends, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter where you were raised. All of us need to come to Jesus and confess Him. And when we do, He will forgive us and give us new life. And to those that are forgiven, He gives us a new way of life. You know what God wants to do when He forgives us? He wants to fulfill His original purpose for us in the beginning. You see, folks, we're a creation. We sang that this morning. We're a creation. None of you are an accident. I am His creation. Now, now that ought to make you feel pretty good. Every once in a while, I get a little down about myself. Do you? How many of you ever get down about the way you look? Mm-hmm. I can see why. No, no, no. <laughs> Man, I do. I, I, I do. I, I get down about the way I was made. You know, I have a little shake in my hands, and I had more than one fight growing up. You're scared of me. You're shaking. Well, I'll have to show you. Pow. First day of first grade, I got spanking for getting in a fight, believe it or not. But then I began to realize I'm not an accident. 
God created me unique, different from anybody else in here. Do you know I look different than anybody else in here? Hmm? Some of you are saying, praise God. <laughs> and God created me, and he created you for a specific reason. One of the reasons that God created us is because he had a plan for us, and part of that plan was that we would know him. Now notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 43. For now thus saith the Lord that created thee, that formed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. I have called you by your name because I want to get to know you. See, as far as God is concerned, you are not nameless. You are somebody. I am somebody. I may not have been raised in royalty. My dad may have had a fourth grade education. He may have been raised out in the oil field. We may have been called oil field trash, but dear friend, God knows me and I am somebody in his sight and so are you. And in his purpose, he wants to fellowship with us. We were created to have a relationship with God. And that relationship can still be fulfilled when we accept his forgiveness and come to him, not as an outsider, but as a part of his family, as a part of his family. I moved from Louisiana. And folks, it's a different world in Louisiana. And in many cases, it's not what you are. It's who your family is. I could tell you the ruling family in Natchitoches just by name. But folks, listen. When you got saved, God put you as a part of the ruling family. We're a child of the king. We're royalty. Amen? Now, you may consider yourself not a whole lot, but once God saved you, you better lift up your head. Of course, we're children of the king. Children of the king. And not only... Do, did God create us for fellowship? God also created us to succeed. Listen, God didn't create Christians for failure. God's desire is for us to one day stand before Him and to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It is God's desire that we one day stand before Him and receive a full reward. And the only thing that can keep a child of God away from having a victorious Christian life is the believer. Now listen, did you know that not even past defeats can keep us from having a victorious Christian life? That's what God says here. He says, forget the past. You know what the Christian life is? Listen, it's, it's marvelous if we can grasp this. This will get you excited, so wake up. The Christian life, dear friends, is a series of new beginnings. Your past defeat, my past defeat doesn't have to hinder me. I can get up the floor and keep going. Because when the Bible says, when God forgives sin, remember the verse we read? I will remember it no more. No more. And God wants us to give us the power to live that new way of life. That's why he saved us. That's why he entered us. That's why he indwelled us. And God's command is to be filled with his spirit. Do you know to be filled with his spirit is to be controlled 
with his spirit. We turn our will over to him so he can control us. And we let Jesus live his life through us. Now, I'm going to show my age, but, but that's all right. I used to like to play football before I had a body that didn't work anymore. And when I was a kid, I always imagined myself as Roger Staubach. Amen. Now, that's, that was my hero. Roger was a good guy for one thing. I think Roger was a Christian guy for another thing. And he could play football, and he never lost. He just ran out of time. <laughs> and so I, I watched old Roger on TV, and I'd watch him throw a football. And you ever notice what, what he'd do when he'd get through? He'd always come down and do like this. And so I, I was doing like this. They thought I was a pansy for a while. <laughs> And he had an awkward run, and, and because of my back, I, I, I could run like him without even trying. I mean, you know. But I never could play like him. Man, he, you know, he'd throw a ball, he was Roger Staubach. I'd throw a ball, look like Roger Rabbit. I mean, you know, I just... He went Super Bowl, I got a toilet bowl. I mean, it just wasn't run very good. You know why? Because I didn't have Roger Staubach in me. I had my console in me. Hmm? But if you could have put Roger in me, man, that would have been great, wouldn't it? You know why we can live the Christian life? Because what would Paul say? It's not I, but Christ who, what? Liveth in me. We can live the Christian life because we're going to let Jesus live it through us. Shane brought out a, a wonderful illustration not too long ago in children's sermon about the magic glove. Remember that, those of you that were here? Put the glove down, magic glove. Make a fist, and it just didn't do nothing. And then he put his hand in it and said, magic glove, make a fist. And pow, there it was. It wasn't the outside, it was what was inside that counts. And folks, when Jesus saved us, he put himself inside of us. And God wants to do a work in us that we wouldn't believe. Notice what he told them in verse 19. I will do a new thing. Folks, the Christian life, and I close with this before I get too wound up. The Christian life, dear friends, listen to me. God wants the Christian life to be an adventure. An adventure. The other day I was talking to my Marine son on the phone, and he was saying, well, Dad, they put me with the 3rd Recon Battalion of the 3rd Marine Division. I said, well, that's kind of cool. You're going to Okinawa, right? He said, yeah, but they deployed to Iraq last week. I, oh, no. I said, son, you don't really want to go there, do you? He said, yes, it'd be an adventure of a lifetime or an adventure of death. That's a parent talking, right? He wants adventure. A lot of our young people want adventure, don't they? How many parents have you ever heard? Parents, how many of you have ever heard this? I'm so bored. Mm -hmm. I want some adventure in my life. Great, I've got a great adventure. Let's see how clean you can get the house. That's not an adventure. Great, let's see how much dirt you can collect off the car. 
I've learned a few things down the time. <laughs> but you know what we've done? We've made church dull, haven't we? We've made the Christian life dull, haven't we? God wants the Christian life to be an adventure. You want an adventure? Try to win somebody to Jesus. Hmm? Well, I'm scared to do that. Yeah, and I'm scared to go rock climbing too, but they call that an adventure. Hmm? Man, I was raised in West Texas where the ground is flat. Have you ever been jet skiing? It's an adventure, right? But it's scary the first time, isn't it? Hmm? Are there any fools here that have jumped out of airplanes? But you had a parachute, right? All right. That was scary too, wasn't it? But it's an adventure, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. God wants us to have an adventure in our Christian life. But we've got to get out of our comfort zone. And if we get out of that comfort zone, listen, Christianity will never be the same. God saved us. God has forgiven us. God has wants to have fellowship with us. God wants us to have success and he wants us to have an adventure. And if we can do that, the things of this world will have no allure anymore. But we've got to come to him.